Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by E-Radio Show, your only podcast for Formula E. Today's episode is called Occam's Racer. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and today we're having a show with all three Missed Apex producers, which means I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Spanners? And Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. Hey, how's it going, Spanners? I'm good. I'm on a small health kick, ready for the new season. Health kick is a lie. It's a skinny kick. Because if you told me to drink bleach to lose eight pounds, I'd do it. But I am off booze trying to get from nearly not fat to just out of shape, which is a shame because I like having an evening drink with the podcast. And I don't know how many of you have tried not drinking, but there's no real end at any point to the day. It's just one long day with longer naps in between. It's horrible. I, I, I'm still I'm still having a hard time imagining that eight pounds is worth it. I don't really think it's going to affect your iRacing lap times, I'll be honest. Wait, I got told that in iRacing, being skinnier gives you 0.3 seconds. Oh, hang on, is that karting? Maybe that is karting. So look, guys, this is pretty much the back end of the off-season. A lot of F1 outlets have just shut up shop over the winter, but I think we've we've done quite well with our weekly content. Chris, it's all been relevant, and at no point has it felt like a burden. No, yeah, I think we've uh, handled the off-season quite well, and it's it's good for us. Keep sharp and all that sort of uh, thing. I mean, it's tough for me as a journalist to find out some sort of drivel to put out over the winter. Yeah, the news has been really slim at times, but now there's a fair bit coming in, and there's quite a bit to talk about. And this week, unfortunately, it appears we don't agree on all of the topics. Gasp. But we'll try to muddle along. Uh, at least we've had the Olympics, though. I caught a bit of the skeleton, I think it's called, where they go kind of head first down the thing on a toboggan. And I just want to say, before we move on, that no one should ever, ever do that. That looks horrendous. No, that's not a thing that should be a thing. You never, you never did that when it snowed when you were a kid? Things I did when it snowed as a kid 
should not become Olympic sports and encourage other people to do those things. That looks like the most dangerous thing you can possibly do. I am against. I took a I took a bin lid down a hill once. It was just covered in ice, and we were going further than anybody with sleds. And we would sort of jeer at them. Ah, look at them with their sleds. We are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, so you can play this with the kids in the background or at work. Guys, we actually do have some news. Big Dirty News. Alright, Chris, so there's been some car launches... And I know I was talking to Joe last week. He's not one that's hugely into the car launches, says it's pretty much a kind of straight PR press release kind of thing. He doesn't see the value in it. Obviously, Joe's a little bit further along that journalistic corridor. You're quite at the beginning of the career. For you, it must be quite an exciting time still. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's always a good time to uh, to put out some content. Everyone's always really excited to see... Uh, the new cars ultimately it becomes a, a flat disappointment because all the cars end up just looking the same uh but that's that's none of my business uh i mean i went to the mercedes launch last year and it was a fantastic day as far as i was uh concerned uh matt do you get excited as a just a bedroom fan if you like as a, as a closet fan actually would be more more like it given the size of the office i'm working in right now um yeah, it is nice to see the livery. It's nice to see the cars break cover for the first time. It gives you hope that there's life yet in the old sport, as it were. And, of course, you know, it's always fun to get the uh, technical lowdown on what we think the teams are up to, with the caveat that, of course, they leave off some of the bits and bobbles till they actually show up at testing. See, that's the thing, because the images we've seen so far, they're all renders. Not of the actual car, so they could just show us whatever whatever they want and not whatever they don't want to show us effectively. So there's probably even, you know, less to scrape from this barrel. They have done this every year and always. They, they put on random parts well, from last year's car just to have a finished product. I mean, like, I, I, get that, I get that it's digital and exciting and new and therefore must be perfect. But really, this is an, this is an old game that has been played. Uh, no, I was always, always wanted to see the car in person. Uh, and most of the time, though, nowadays, you're not going to get to do that. But there is still the odd uh, team that will bring the car out like McLaren did last season, Chris. They had it in like a big arena type situation where you had people um, like in studio seats watching it. So there's still some that physically see it like that. But there are also some cars that will be revealed at a test track, for example, like don't some wait until Barcelona. Uh, some do, yeah. I, I don't think too many teams are doing that this year because I think all bar maybe one or two teams haven't actually put a date out um, yet. But certainly when I, the Mercedes one last year, they put it on the track before they actually had the official photo opportunity and the unveiling uh, of, of the car. Well, I wonder if any of the teams this year are actually going to have a physical appearance of their car up and running during testing. I've got a sneaky suspicion that at least one of the teams is going to do that. Uh, but Matt, I know you got a few words from Summers who had some points from what we've seen so far. Right. Well, uh, the word from White I'm calling this section. Because he's and from the Isle of Wight. Yes, he is. And I was tempted to have you read it in his accent because that could be fun. But then I could also just do it myself. So 
in anyway, his accent. No. Yeah. No. Uh, I could not read it in his accent because that would be that that would just uh, I know you pride yourself on your great audio and that would just be <laughs> like you know sacrilege basically. Um, uh, the, he sees the Haas, at least as it showed up in the renders, as being an evolution of last year's car, uh, utilizing the low slung side impact protection spar and push back side pods used by Ferrari last year. They seem to have concentrated their effort on the outer section of the front wing to improve front tire wake in line with the side pod changes. So I, I'm just going to shorten that to they cribbed some stuff from Ferrari's last year's car. Yeah, I think, is it the bit in front of the side pod that was what stuck out straight away as uh isn't that the bit that Vettel was accusing the Red Bulls of nicking yeah I think that I think that was it pretty much that was one of the most clever bits on on, on the Ferrari and so of course everyone borrowed it as soon as they could uh manufacture it and work it into their scheme and as far as the Williams goes well I don't know if you're a fan of Williams you might want to plug your ears for this Williams, mashup of the Mercedes Ferrari, uh, Patty Lowe and Dirk DeBeer, uh, Mercedes Cape, Bargeboard Serrations and Diffuser, Ferrari side pod, same as Haas, i.e. not as elegant as Ferrari. Ouch. It's just not elegant, shows their lack of budget compared to Ferrari Mercedes, and although it's good they're learning from others, I can't help thinking it's backfoot stuff, i.e. Mercedes Ferrari will have even more this year. It's all relative. Ooh, that is a bit harsh, especially well, as Chris is pointing out. They're under no real obligation to show us the full package. It feels like these launches are much more about, you know, the sponsors, the livery, and yeah. a chance for them to give their kind of war cry for the season rather than any kind of technical indication. But if it's something fundamental like those side pods, I guess you'll see it. But there's certainly nothing in the rules that says what they release now has to be representative of what's going to be on track. And I know uh, it's a good time to interject from the chat room that Red Bull's um, Red Bull's release will be Monday, which would be, I guess, today if you're listening to the show after it comes out, or tomorrow if you're watching the live stream. So do keep your eyes open for that because uh, they've had surprises for us in the past, haven't they? Yeah, they're all coming over, over the next um, couple of weeks or so. Like sort of Red Bull and and Renault, Torosso, Force India. There's going to be uh, a real flurry of them this week. I mean, on the Haas car, I I don't think it's a surprise that there are some Ferrari copies on there. I know that Haas shy away from the term Ferrari B team, but they are effectively at the moment. You know, while they're still ahead of Sauber. Uh, and they are, you know, taking parts from Ferrari uh, and undoubtedly taking a bit of knowledge from Ferrari as well. So uh, I don't really see it as such a shock that uh, it looks a little bit Ferrari-esque. And we should maybe look at the Haas uh, as, uh, as a sort of preempt what will be on the Ferrari when that comes out. I don't know. I don't know why I'm strangely optimistic about the Sauber. People tell me I shouldn't be, but I just... I can't help but feel that with having an actual new gen engine, Chris, that there's actually no reason why they can't be up there in the mix. No, exactly. I mean, if you think about uh, how far off the back of the field they were with a year old engine in 2017, they did a very good job. You know, it was definitely their weakest uh, link. And uh, especially that last race in Abu Dhabi, they did really, really well. Uh, And so throw in a, a current gen engine 
uh, where and I, I, it was a really bad year for them to to have that as well because they made such big leaps and bounds between 2016 and 2017 because of all the extra aero and the uh, the the Urs challenges as well because of the extra aero. So that was a bad year to kind of have that. So throw that in, and also throw in the reigning Formula Two champion Charles Leclerc as well. They've got a very handsome recipe for a, a much better year this year. Okay, I think that's all we've got to say about the current launches, given that we've only had two. But obviously, come this time next week, Chris, we'll have had a lot more to say. You're waggling your finger at me. No, I mean, I, I, I still think there's there's a fair bit to, to talk about because, uh, I mean, the Haas, you know, they, they did spend a little bit of time talking about uh, the improvements um, to the car. The big thing for them has been the weight loss um, so that they can utilize ballast um, a little bit more and also to sort of improve the handling as well which was their big achilles heel once they sorted out the brake issues that we were constantly hearing about from from them uh towards the end of last year um and you know they want to they want to be closer to ferrari and uh you know unsurprisingly um if they're maybe what a second and a half two seconds away they want to be ultimately half a second off the ferrari Okay, so mainly the chat room is just trolling you about your background where you've got a really ugly boiler and set of pipes. It looks like you've just kind of crawled into an abandoned warehouse building. <laughs> yeah, I think technically we call that set decoration and specifically your books are being are being piled on for not being properly arranged. Oh, wow. Yeah. Casual. them vertically, says Matthew Graff from the chat room, who obviously does this for a living. But more relevantly in the chat room, uh, Blackout19 says excited for Sauber because for the first time in ages, they actually have an exciting driver. Uh, and yeah, and I would like to see Ericsson, you know, shown shown what a really top draw driver can do. Uh, on the gas says, Haas can't be ahead of Sauber if there hasn't been a race yet. That's true, but this is wild speculation. Um, more trolling about your background. Um, I just assumed Chris was being held in a motorsport dungeon until his articles were complete. Uh, that's quite good. And obviously, I and can I say that Bradley <laughs> has tried Bradley. to he's tried to insinuate I own a series of books uh, that somebody <laughs> like me would not ever have. And I think what he's looking at there is actually the VHS editions of the original Star Wars trilogy, which is much cooler. No, it's not. It's Fifty Shades of Grey. But the chat room <laughs> is pointing out to us that we should be calling it Alpha. And actually, yeah, I know it's not an Alpha no. Romeo engine. But there is, in fact, a tie-in, and the name is there. And for fans of Alpha Cars, which I am, it's still a bit of a buzz. No, Alpha Romeo is just a title sponsor. They're still Sauber. You know, you wouldn't have called it Vodafone when it, when it was McLaren. Yeah, but if you're like um, a posh alcoholic, you would be excited that Martini sponsors Williams, and that might be enough for you to go, yeah, that's my team, clink, clink. Uh, and so for me, having the Alpha name on the Salvos is enough to kind of make me go, because I'm a fickle fan, it is enough to make me go, yeah, go on then. That's a, an extra bit of incentive to want to see Salva do well. I mean, Alpha. Yeah, but I mean, really, Alpha Romeo, noted for their... Dodgy fixings. <laughs> Yeah, incredible reliability and yeah. <laughs> no, I know ability or what. Yeah, I, I know. Owning an Alfa Romeo means accepting that sometimes you don't have a car, and that is a true fact. And that is coming from a good place in my heart. I absolutely love my Alfa, um, but it required a lot of TLC patience and, frankly, another car that when you actually genuinely needed to get somewhere. Uh, but anyway, let's move on a little bit to talking about the war cries from the teams. Clearly. 
Williams have been a little bit upset about everybody talking about paid drivers. And they came out with a statement, which I will say straight off, that I found to be a little bit, you know, a little bit newspeak, a little bit doublespeak, a little bit 1984. Um, I can't believe they expected people to buy this, but they came up with saying that saying anyone is a paid driver, this is Claire Williams, is unfair. Uh, it's nothing new in F1 that drivers come with money, and thank goodness they do. Yeah, fair enough, Claire, that's, that's, that is true. It would be incredibly naive, she continues, for anyone to make that statement saying he's just a paid driver. It's great if a driver has financial interest from partners. It's great for the team. It's great for the drivers. Partners want to partner drivers because of their nationality or because of their character or gravitas in a certain market. And now here's the bit where Claire loses me a little bit. It's nothing unusual. Fernando Alonso, prime example. Santander followed him around every team that he's been to. You could suggest that he's a paid driver. I wouldn't do such a thing. I think the terminology or vocab used around paid drivers is wrong. It's inappropriate and unnecessary. It puts negativity around a driver and we should not be doing that in this sport anymore. Now, Chris, I found that a little bit, and I'll use the word, I found it a little bit insulting for Williams to release a statement expecting me to believe or to swallow the comparison to Fernando Alonso and to just kid on that there are, there are not financial reasons for their two drivers. I think it's perfectly fair to call Stroll a pay driver and there is certainly enough smoke to suggest that there is a fire of pay driver around Sergei Sorokin as well. I mean, Williams have decided that the best form of defence is attack on this one and uh, frankly, she's got a, a, a point in that you know, pay drivers are nothing new uh, and they're very, um, you know, sort of welcoming uh, to uh, to a team. Um, now, that's not to say anything, you know, against the quality of Lance Stroll and Sergei Sorokin. You know, I mean, yeah, Lance had a very, very, very tough um, rookie season, but there's no reason why he can't um, improve. Stroll, yeah. uh, as for uh, Sorokin. <laughs> Perhaps he's not good enough, but okay, sorry. <laughs> I mean, what was the, the biggest weakness for him last year was the qualifying. If he can get on top of that, then that's just going to complete. That's going to change everything, I, I, I feel like. Um, and as with Sorokin, you know, he, he's done all right in the junior formulae. Uh, and again, you know, very competent racing driver. Um, but, uh, you know, Williams do kind of need to admit, you know, we have taken drivers w- with you know, a strong financial backing with good reason though, with good reason. And I, I do kind of support them on this. Um, but I just wish they kind of come out and say it because it's all going into development. You know, they're, they're taking a a short term loss to make long-term gains. They're looking, you know, into the future with this so that they can really develop the car. I mean, Williams is a team that has been slipping backwards year on year since 2014, scoring less and less points every year. Uh, and they, they've got to they've got to do something about that. You know, they can't just keep slipping backwards. So we take a take the hit now. We're uh, potentially with you know a couple of drivers that maybe won't fully utilize the car, uh, but you can uh, set that you know uh, to improve the car over the next couple of years, and then put a high quality name in there. Yeah, I mean, I think you really do need to focus on the uh, on the bright side here, which is that. 
it's quite possible the uh, mechanics will get lots and lots of practice putting the car back together after it's been into a wall, for example. That will be an improvement for Williams. And then eventually, if they ever design a car that's fast, uh, somebody might actually want to drive it again. These are it's a good point that you're making. It's reasonable. On the gas in the chat room says, Spanners can argue Restroll about being a pay driver, but needs to argue on performance and not sponsorship money. Absolutely. No, I agree with that. Because if you look at Perez, he's come in with a lot of backing his entire F1 career. But if you look at it, he's actually delivered on the lap times. He's kept pace with drivers that we admire, uh, such as Hulkenberg, uh, Jensen Button. Uh, yeah, he might not be in that very top tier, but he's put himself well and firmly as a, a Formula One standard driver. Now, if we want to argue on performance about Stroll, we cannot make that case with Stroll. He's had a full season and clearly his performance was lacking. Now, I know there are a few um, uh, highlights, which Matt will, will highlight, I'm sure. But let's look at the little logic of this without without excusing Stroll uh, too much, without giving him this magical kind of, oh, he's definitely going to improve this season, which he hasn't proved or, and hasn't really shown any signs of doing. What we've seen is he lost hugely to Bottas. I think he was, uh, not from maths, but qualifying 0.7 seconds down a lot of the time from from um, from Massa, sorry, not from Bottas. Massa himself, the season before, and I grant you Massa is towards, was towards the end of his career, was thumped 19-1 in qualifying by Bottas and was beaten in race points over the course of the season and performance. And Bottas has found it difficult to live with Lewis Hamilton. And it's unlikely, in my opinion, that Bottas is going to be beating Lewis Hamilton to top Mercedes driver this year. So we've looked at about four steps down of performance where Lance Stroll, we can confidently say at this point, the simplest argument is that Stroll is not fast enough to be considered one of these top drivers. So it's not a reasonable driver with with sponsorship backing. This is a driver who is very, very slow compared to his peers, who is being given another chance or extended time due to £20 million a year for the seat. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, it's nothing new, uh, you know, about, about Stroll really. But if you look at the instances where he was able to, to qualify well, but, you know, in whatever condition that was, he ended up, doing well in the race so if he can work on that that weakness a strong weakness i will grant you i'm not disagreeing with you that he uh really does need to up his game uh because he he truly truly does but if he can work on that qualifying weakness you know that was that was what hampered him so much in in his rookie season if he can turn that around it'll it'll probably be a, a revolution in his in his career i'm not saying he has or will make that step forward that's just what he needs to do it's up to him to do that uh, manu 119 says but it's not new williams had maldonado before the only thing that makes it look bad is williams are unable to produce a good car if it was a front runner we couldn't care that that is a reasonable point but i think maldonado was undeniably quick on his day i don't think stroll has actually got that pace in the bag at the moment and i'll be really happy if he can pull it out but i think if williams had a really top running car um this season we might not know the one of the biggest performance parts of the car is still the driver if you're talking about single things that you could change so in my estimation on my little steps of performance we talked we talked earlier if you replace stroll with another driver you could easily get a second plus 
in performance. Now, if you told me we could change any mechanical part and gain a second, you would do it in a heartbeat. See, the, the thing about Stroll and being paired with Sorokin as well is that ideally you'd want a really strong set, you know, driver in there as well to be able to get uh, the points. As it stands, they've got two drivers who more than likely won't get 100% out of what uh, they, they give the drivers. Uh, and really, you know, that's down to them pushing Robert Kubica too much. You know, they were so eager to have Robert Kubica coming in and like, oh, it's going to be Kubica we're going to have them. They got too far down the line with that. And then they realized, oh, he's not actually ready. Who else Who else can we put in? And Sergei just put his hand up. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. And that's kind of how we've been left in this situation. Not ideal. Far from ideal. I will grant you this. Um, but like I said, it's all about the the long term. I mean, this is the first Paddy Low car. They've worked with Dirk De Beer on it as well, who designed last year's Ferrari and uh, was uh, a big part of uh, Lotus's success in 2012, 2013 as well. So, you know, chances are that's a, a, a nice package. They've, you know, uh, well, got that, you know, certainly they've got the right people together. <laughs> you know, it's, they're, they're really looking for the aerodynamic gains and the downforce and close the gap. to. Here's the interesting thing. They're trying to close the gap to the front, not necessarily overtake teams along the way, but they just want to get closer to the front. Okay, so uh, Matt Graff's accusing me of being kind of arbitrary with plus one second for any other driver. Yeah, that, you're right. I have absolutely. But I'm being backed up a little bit by them saying if he's 0. 0.7 seconds, seven seconds off Massa, and Massa was off the pace, I think I said at least a second. Um, yeah. But speaking of Paddy Lowe, that gives you reason to be optimistic. And Paddy said, the selection process we used for that race seat was incredibly exhaustive. The most exhaustive I've ever been involved with, including the technical team. Now, this is another bit that I found to be either it's lacking an explanation or uh, or I'm missing something. But he said he was making the point that the technical team picked it on the data. They didn't know which drivers that data was from, they simply selected the best data and that gave them uh, Shirotkin. But that was only over Kubica, as far as I can make out. That isn't, you know, over Duresta, I don't think was in that equation. And I also don't think Verline, who was available, was in that equation. So it still lends me to think that this is obviously a decision on finances. And I just wish they'd just say it. We're going for an engineering philosophy over the next four years. It's a long-term plan. We need to fund that. That's what we're doing then we'd understand. So I'm curious, could they have put Kubitz's stroll and Sorotkin all in and let them pick the fastest two? I don't think they did that. <sighs> that's interesting. Yes, that's a very good point. I don't think Papa Stroll would have been very happy with that at all. Anyway, look, let's move on a bit. Of course, it's a good chat because we've got Matt Trumpets, my podcasting partner in crime, my podcasting wife. Some people have even said in the past. And also, we're joined by this young buck here who irritates me because he's 20 and 20-year-olds can't do anything and they don't know stuff. And I have to keep explaining things to him, even though he's got the internet. But he is undoubtedly a talented journalist and that's why we have him. And Chris, you're about to take another little tiny step to what I believe will lead to you becoming a household name, a feature of F1 Media. Oh, well, well, thank you. Um, I mean, on the rest of that stuff, I mean, if I'm going to be good at one thing, it may as well be the job I do. Uh, if I'm rubbish at everything else, You're I don't so really mind. so bad at everything else. Uh, Karting, no. scheduling, <laughs> equipment, audio, video. 
Haircuts. I am. I sound just wonderful. Uh, you know, with your guidance, obviously. But uh, no, uh, the the thing that's happening. Uh, I this week was uh, commissioned for my first feature in Autosport magazine, uh, which I'm hugely hugely excited about. I'm going down to the Olympic Park on uh, Wednesday for BT Sports uh, MotoGP uh, season preview. Uh, event so uh, what what bt sport have got to offer the motor gp fans uh, for for this upcoming uh, season i'm hugely excited about it uh you, you know it's a uh, it's a milestone for my career it's a milestone and these little milestones keep coming up quicker and quicker because to be honest there's a lot of guys who go into that autosport junior program and don't produce and who are not taken on to do big boy things but and, and you might from your perspective be thinking oh, that's no big deal but i'm doing okay from our point of view like we're all so chuffed for you mate oh well well thank you yeah yeah means means a lot i mean it's obviously a you know a really big uh deal and you know you you get out uh what you what you put in uh working with autosport uh and it's you know it's given me some good opportunities so uh um yeah hopefully we can keep uh doing a bit more of this throughout the year <laughs> Uh, we've got a list of things you're not good at: uh, bookshelving, uh, pipe hiding, beards. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I will happily admit that, but I'm good at one thing, so pay me for it. All right. Well, somebody who has hasn't got the same sparkling career ahead of them. I'm afraid trumpets. You're in the same boat as me. Uh, people underestimate, perhaps. I think what Matt contributes to this program and to this series, but. It basically wouldn't have happened without Matt. Uh, but you recently have been shaking it all about in some simulators in New York. Yeah, I had a very exciting trip organized by the uh, Formula One meetup here in New York City to a little place called Hub Neo on the Lower East Side, which was my old stomping grounds. And they are a virtual reality lab and they build their own motion simulators to go with the virtual reality. And they have one flight simulator. They have right now two driving simulators. And then they have a couple of free play areas, in- including one where you can, where you literally put the computer on your back. So you're not bound by wires as you often are when you go and do virtual reality. And I have to say that the, they have a two degree and a three degree of freedom simulator, meaning how many axes the, the seat can move in. They have hydraulic actuators and the response time on the things is so fast. It's around 300 milliseconds that there is no discernible lag when you're actually, when you have the goggles strapped on and you're actually driving. And it is, for, when you do it for the first time, it is not only disconcerting, but it is also more than a bit terrifying. Because you you feel all of the sensation, and the one that has three degrees of freedom, meaning it has yaw back and forth, is is tremendously more difficult to drive. So I saw, yeah, I saw the video of you doing it, and it looked really active. It looked really intense. So as far as you're concerned in that world, it's the same as any VR. You look left, you look right, you see the whole world around you. Um, so how does it feel like? Because you look like you were just getting shaken about randomly from behind. Obviously, you're you're in there feeling it. So you driving along in your car you stamp on the brakes and you get thrown forward in your seat. Yeah, you get thrown forward in your seat. You get bounced over the bumps. You can feel the curbs and you can definitely feel the tail end of the car when it starts to go. And of course, you've got the normal force feedback on the steering wheel. So you can try and, you know, save it and catch it and... Yeah, well, and the force feedback isn't just on the steering wheel. As As a car starts to go, the whole seat slides. Like literally, you can use not just your hands, but your entire bummer meter, as it were, to uh to 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 try and and make that safe but it's 
it is it is very challenging. And if you turn off all of the driver aids, which they they make you start with all the driver aids on, but once you turn them all off, it is it is yeah, it, it is fun and it is challenging. I've done a couple of those uh, similar sort of things over over the years, and it's just the most fun that you can have without being in an actual uh, racing car. You know, you're pr- properly driving through the seat of your pants uh, and everything. It's it's so much fun. And and I have yeah. to say, because obviously Philpot's got me hooked on to doing uh, some simulator stuff with iRacing, and, you know, we've just got a little steering wheel here. But even with the force feedback, even with that, you can tell when you're losing it. So it would be really great to, to have a setup that would be able to actually let you use your bomber meter, if you like. But I'm guessing that that is probably around the same price as just getting a race car. Well, here's the thing. They custom build these things in their own factory. But what I think sets Hub Neo apart, and I, and I have to apologize because I wanted to have, I, I, I missed this in the notes, I wanted to have the address available because they are open. You can literally go there, give them money, and climb into these contraptions and, and race them for yourself. But they are passionate about racing that is their that is their game they eventually are they have enough space that they eventually foresee having a 16 bay racing facility they get people who track their cars up at watkins Glen coming in to practice before they go up there and race so they work with actual racers actually one of the guys who i talked to alan there he's an aussie x racer and he started working with them on the simulations and now he works there full time so it's 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 not just oh another racing game with a with a rocker chair. It's a bit more advanced than that. And definitely, if you're in the New York City area, I'd say it's probably worth your time to go check it out. I think the days of people saying oh these are just computer games, you know, it's it doesn't give you any insight into the real real world. And of course, it doesn't give you any insight into the the, the terror of potentially crashing into a wall. But I think we can just take those curmudgeons now and we can just put them gently over to one side because. I, it's becoming more and more apparent that you can get a similar, uh, if not experience, you can get a similar feel for what is happening when you're racing a car that you don't get from just sitting and watching it. And I think from a fan's point of view, Chris, I mean, I know you've got a really kind of backward attitude to these kind of racing games, but from a fan's point of view, why aren't we all sitting with our race wheels doing racing simulation games to understand a little bit about what drivers are going through? Because honestly, even just playing some games kind of makes you go oh yeah that kind of thing is hard that kind of challenge is difficult i didn't realize that from the sofa uh because they're very expensive uh no i really i enjoy playing racing games you know i mean i am a a regular on the playstation uh a lot of the time just with a you know a pad and so i'll jump at any opportunity i can get to go in uh something a little bit more advanced you know with seat and pedals and then you throw in some force feedback and some motion in there as well. And I am just putty in your hands at that point. It is, I, I really love doing it. The thing I kind of don't like uh, about it is, is the, you know, the sort of, I want to say the commercial aspect of it. The people that, you know, when it gets taken incredibly serious, that it ends up being like a world championship. That's the kind of extent I disagree with. Whereas, you know, if you want to just jump in and have a, have a bit of fun with it, some fun with your friends, I'm all for that. Speaking of fun with friends, before we move on, I'm seriously considering having some missed Apex game nights. So uh, I'm trying to decide if I should pick up F1 2017 on PC or do an iRacing room uh, on uh, on PC. If you're interested in racing with me, some of the crew, other listeners, then let me know. Get in touch, iRacing or F1 2017, and I'll try and hook something up. 
Right. So before we go, I just want to say, if you're in the New York City area, the address is 114 Suffolk Street. And be on the lookout because I may be releasing a little video and an interview with the CEO and founder sometime in the not too distant future. Good. Matt, I'm going to turn to you again. That's bizarre because you were already facing me, but okay. Oh, you can tell you're a dad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like you, my kids also think I'm hilarious. Okay, so let's talk about McLaren because there's nothing hilarious about what they need to do this season. This is a season of reckoning. They've been blaming everything on Honda for the past three years, and we've heard a lot. We've heard a lot. McLaren has a great chassis, if not the best chassis. If that is true, then they now have an engine that Red Bull were winning races with last season. Is it fact or is it a myth? McLaren have the best chassis. So it's a no-brainer that they're now going to win the title with this Renault power unit. Well, I have to say, after having spent some time with Summers one-on-one, and spent some time with Bradley one-on-one, I feel like I'm now qualified to give you the expert answer to this topic, which is, of course, it depends. Nice. Yes, well done. I thought I was very proud of that one. Anyway, um, so, but it really does depend because, first of all, what do we mean by best? And second of all, uh, for people out there, what exactly do we mean by chassis? I mean, it's a funny thing. You'd think of all the things, definitions you find in the technical regulations, that perhaps they would define the word chassis in there. But guess what? They don't. It's mentioned, but they never tell you what they mean when they say chassis. So I think for the purpose of this definition, for the purpose of this discussion, probably we'll just call it everything but the power unit and the tires and be done with it. Yeah, that's fair. And I think when we have these kind of debates, it is fair just to use what we commonly understand. I mean, earlier, I forgot to say with pay driver, a lot of people have made the argument that pay driver just means any kind of backing. Whereas we've commonly known the term pay driver as in basically Pedro Diniz. You come in with your family money and you pay for, for, pay for your seat. Now, with chassis, <laughs> call, me, call me daft, but I just think of like aero suspension. And when I'm when I talk about chassis or when someone says that to me in my head, it's how good is their aero package? How good is their suspension to make it wibble wobble the correct amount? Uh, And what was the other question? What is best? Okay, so what I've heard is basically McLaren is best on the corners and by best, it means they can have the highest apex speeds. Now, Matt, if you don't mind me rudely interrupting you, uh, when I made this statement in our WhatsApp group, Bradley Philpot said I was an idiot, and then he left me a series of messages. On, do you mind if I play those now? Uh, no, but I was just wondering how you could interrupt me if I wasn't actually speaking, but uh, we'll we'll save that for a later time. Was I talking that whole time? Ah, I'm yeah. a talker. There'd be no podcast without it. <laughs> so in preparation for what I'm sure Spanners is going to talk about on tonight's show, um, I believe that last year's McLaren was one of the best chassis out there. Now, this isn't based upon any firm evidence. So before you start talking about that, Spanners, this is just feeling that I gather from hearing interviews with key personnel in the team um, and seeing the confidence with which they talk about how good their car was last year. Um, I think the McLaren is going to be in the top three this coming season. I'm sure I'm going to get shot down in flames for saying that, but I think it could be one of the very best cars out there. I just hope the Renault's good enough. But... In particular, I wanted to talk about um, apex speeds and about whether a slower car um, makes it easier for drivers to drive through certain corners. 
Okay, so that is one of the key points I was trying to make was, I thought in my head, what is the point of having great apex speeds if you haven't got a representative car? So if your car was going slowly, I was thinking, well, it must be easier to get a Ford Cortina uh, through Beckett's and Stowe than it would be to get a rocket ship. So contrary to popular opinion, a slower car doesn't necessarily equal an easier car. Um, when we're talking about Formula One cars here and the differences between them, we're not talking about the difference between a four-stroke rental go-kart and a 30-horsepower, really fast world championship-level go-kart. Those are two very different things. Um, with Formula One cars, you're talking about much, much smaller degrees of difference. Now, you're right that you will arrive at the corner at a lower speed um, with a car that has a lower-powered engine. Um, but all that really means for the driver is that Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com they're going to have to brake later than the car that's traveling faster or, or to flip it around, the car that's traveling faster is going to have to brake earlier. They will be scrubbing off more speed coming down from a higher speed. So you could argue that um, they've got a bit more judgment to make there. But in reality, you're talking tiny differences. Formula One drivers are more than capable of, um, of judging the difference in braking point. So it's not really any easier. And I think he has just one last point to round it off. And as an example, if you slow down to... 150 miles per hour say say the apex speed in a certain corner is 150 miles per hour obviously that's quite a fast one um and if the car is able to achieve that it's no more difficult or easy regardless of of which car you're in if the car is capable of doing it if 150 miles an hour is an apex speed that that car can achieve you wouldn't really say it was more difficult or easier if you've got a, a slower engine maybe the throttle response um could come into it if you've got more power it's harder to put that power down on the exit, so easier to spin the wheels. But in reality, that's much more about the drivability of the engine. You could have the Honda engine from last year that the drivers were really struggling to get on the gas for fear of not really knowing what was going to happen, whereas drivers with much more power than them had a much smoother power delivery and were able to exit more easily. So it could actually be more difficult with a worse engine. See, Matt, I'm a little bit torn about whether having a proper race driver as part of this panel is actually a good idea because it does just ruin some of our you know wild speculation and ramblings and just getting corrected with facts all the time it's a nightmare 
Yeah, it, it can spoil some of the fun of totally uninformed speculation. I, I agree. <laughs> but it, it's it's nice to have have that opinion. And in anticipation of this, knowing that really what they mean is that we had at the end of the season, we feel like we had the fastest chassis through certain corners at certain tracks is really what they meant when they said they had the quote unquote best chassis. And whether that plays out in the season to come, we'll have to see. Now, before I get into it, I basically found three data points that we can link up across the season to support that contention. But it looks like Chris is about to have an aneurysm. So what's up there? Well, I, I fear I may be about to tread on your toes now, but I mean, I know Brad said that there wasn't a lot of evidence for the idea that, you know, the McLaren chassis is a is a, is a, is a strong point of, of the car. Uh, but if, uh, you know, you, you talk to people who have seen it out on track, they'll support that notion. GPS data will probably back that up in terms of the apex speed. But the kind of biggest thing, if you look at McLaren's performances on less power dependent circuits, they've done better than they have done at, uh, you know, tracks like uh, Russia and Monza, for example, you know, as the extreme examples. Well, I'm going to interrupt you there because I don't think that proves anything. So what you're saying is at tracks where it's less power dependent, their lack of power has hurt them less. I mean, that's a that's a yeah. no brainer. That, that doesn't say anything as to how they will now perform with a representative engine. Oh, OK. Right. Well, no. No, that's a fair comment, but it's more to kind of back up the idea that McLaren does have a strong uh, chassis, whether the aerodynamics are going to end up working in conjunction uh, with that as well. That's another you know matter to it as well. How the Renault engine is integrated into the car and how McLaren utilize it. You know, Ren- uh, Red Bull, for example, have had much more time to, to get the best out of it, whereas to McLaren, everything's going to be super brand new. On the gas says, if Spanners was told McLaren is the best chassis, he's been misinformed. One of the best, okay, but the best. But this is the thing, and this alludes to Brad's first point, which is it isn't based on on anything. Because when people have said McLaren have got one of the best chassis, I'm saying, okay, well, what is that based on? And if it's based on just what you've picked up and what you've heard, where, for example, was the Redbridge Bull chassis on that list? Where was the Mercedes chassis on? Where's the Force India? Why do we seem to have so much confidence and information about how good the mclaren chassis was and nothing about any of the other teams apparently okay so if we were going to you know draw the comparison to the red bull and the mercedes and the ferrari and so on they're probably on that level but they've certainly you know you would very very much expect for them to have a stronger chassis than the teams they have been racing for the past three years i.e the haas the uh, the salvers the Force Indies, the midfield teams. So once you add in that extra element of the the power unit being solved, the theory is they should be right up there with the leaders. All right, so I took a tenner bet with somebody at work and I said that McLaren won't finish in the top four because I don't see the top three being ousted. I don't see Red Bull being ousted. And I see a lot of teams that could hang on in there and pip McLaren to that um to that fourth place so i've put my money literally my money on mclaren being fifth or worse and dan jury in the chat room agrees with me if they finish in the top five i will eat my shoe i had a lot of respect for that but he has later redacted it to a shoe-based cake which has got to be a contender for comment of the week um and oh too much in the chat room for me to keep up with you left out in mclaren colors in mclaren colors yeah oh gosh yes wearing mclaren colors eating a shoe-based cake. 
Uh, Dom Byrne says, Brad has more gravitas when calling Spanners an idiot. Not Joe levels, but yeah, it was pretty good. It was a pretty subtle, you're an idiot, but message received. So that's fine. Uh, back to your analysis then, Matt. When you've looked at these figures, this is all I want to know. Because sure, you could say, let's just wait till the racing starts. We've got four weeks to talk about this. No, wild speculation. Best chassis, allegedly. Renault power unit, where are they going to finish? Put your pundit hat on the line. Uh, so literally, I should mention none of the stuff I spent hours researching. Fine. Do your well-thought-out research. Uh, well, it, it, I, will, I will sum it up briefly. There were only three times, three things I could find specific mentions of. One was in uh, Spain, where Alonso finished seventh in qualifying. And at that time, he said he felt they had the third best chassis. Uh, in Hungary, again, there was a lot of speculation. Uh, they were P6. And then finally in Mexico, Alonso went on record as saying they had the best chassis. Um, and he has actually P5 in Q1 before he bailed because he had penalties that meant he started at the back of the race. He said specifically the car had good grip, handling incredible, drive instinctively and easily. And the reason he said that was they actually used an older engine because they knew he wasn't going to compete in all of qualifying. And he was losing 12 kilometers an hour on the straights when he set that time. So, yeah, there is definitely evidence that McLaren has built a fairly good chassis in the corners, and particularly with exit speed. Now, I found another resource, uh, samson.wordpress.com, and um, it turns out that if you go back all the way to China and look, you can see that McLaren was able to maintain, I think it was out of turn seven, their exit speed differential to Renault up to about 230 kilometers per hour before uh, Renault was able to uh, get ahead of them. And speaking of that complex, um, Alonso, the latter's minimum speed at the apex of turn 12 is highest of all. And now that's in China. And if you look in the notes, I've included some speed traces if you if you would care to. And if you want to see them for yourself, you can, of course, just simply go to the blog where I found them. But there is evidence that in these types of corners, McLaren was a highly competitive chassis, that the power unit, did not get in their way and that they were able to successfully um, have a very drivable car. Whether that means they have the best chassis overall is in a completely different question. And as Stevens adequately pointed out, if we are going to look at the season ahead, one of the biggest problems they're going to have is that, of course, the Honda power unit was basically tailored to fit inside the McLaren's aerodynamic idea. The Renault power unit will not be ordered as such. On the other hand, if we're talking about how they're doing compared to Red Bull, which I think can we just agree, compared to Red Bull, has to be their standard. They have the same engine. They've said we're on the same level with them. So they need to be finishing there or thereabouts with them. Absolutely. And if if they had not been making such bold claims and not been attacking Honda, I think I'd be more inclined to say, uh, no, there's a bit of grace. There's a settling in period. But by mid-season, I would want to see them racing wheel to wheel with Red Bull to validate the the claims and the sort of approach they've taken to their press releases etc last season i would be surprised if they're on red bull like immediately straight out of the box because again it's you know the yeah, adaptation that's fair that's fair you know, that that is fair you know the grace period as you put it by like absolutely the late end of the season they have to be on red bull's uh pace and potentially even you know beating them you know that's that has to be the the end goal uh matt uh, one of the guys in the Slack group, uh, Roar Haggis, has just said, did you mention the name of the blog that you got this info from? 
it was, uh, I, I, let me scroll back up in the notes, but I believe it was Samson, S-A-M-S-E-N.wordpress.com. And the specific thing was Speed Trace Analysis 2017 Chinese Grand Prix Qualifying. But the, the whole blog looks pretty interesting. And he's done, he's done a whole analysis of 2017 speed traces. But to get back to my point, the other thing that we might need to be considering here, and it was brought up by Summers at last week's show, is that if Renault and Red Bull Racing are indeed headed for a divorce at the end of this season, which is a possibility that has been brought up, then we know that about halfway through, they're going to stop getting data from Renault. And uh, these are conversation with Mr. Carter. We know that all PUs are equal for manufacturers, but some are more equal than others. And that, that could actually be something that works to McLaren's advantage over the second half of the season. It's going to be tough, uh, you know, for them the transition, but ultimately, yeah, Red Bulls. Pay. I mean, if you think about where maybe Renault are going to start the season, the works team. That may be a good foundation for them as a as a start of the season. But actually, Don Burns just pointed out in the chat room uh, that you know Red Bull traditionally don't start the season very strongly. So maybe we ought to factor that in uh, as well. I am of the belief and of the hope that they can start the season uh, strongly this time around. Because, frankly, they need to if they want to challenge for a championship. I'll just quickly say that if the Renault is good out of the box, I think Red Bull will be good out of the box. That's my my pundit prediction. And I also went to Summers, and this is what he had to say about the whole issue. Uh, The McLaren argument should be that their car is essentially an extrapolation of the Red Bull racing, given Perdruma's influence. High rake, front wing design. However, it must be noted that the design differs in other McLaren-esque areas. The interesting differences this year, according to him, and we all know that his definition of interesting may not be yours, uh, will be how they handle cooling. Uh, The difference in suspension, kinematics, and the fact that they both build their own gearboxes. So we'll have some differentiators there that we can look at, too. All right. Are we ready to move on, Matt? Is that your wisdom complete on McLaren's chances? Yes, I said it all as fast as I possibly could to spare your tender ears. No, it's not my fault. It's just that I have no attention span and I switch off whenever you talk. Oh, wait, that is my fault. Okay, well, uh, before we move on to our last topic, I will just encourage people to support us. I hope you enjoy what we've been doing and there are a couple of ways in which you can support us. Firstly, you can tell everybody that listening to Missed Apex podcast increases your Formula One fandom uh, and tell them that coming up to preseason, they should be subscribing to us. They should go to iTunes or their podcatcher of choice and search Missed Apex Podcast, and then they should subscribe because this winter, before the winter ends, we have some special guests coming up to talk to us in the preseason. We're going to get a return visit, hopefully, from Jack Nichols. Mark Gallagher of the BBC is going to come and talk to us, and he's going to have a great competition for you to win copies of his book, signed by himself and David Coulthard. We're going to get Matthew Carter back on to come and chat to us. Uh, hopefully sometime it might be as the season started and try and persuade fake Charlie White to come and join us again. And that is without our regular experts, the fantastic Joe Saywood, the best tech man in the Isle of Wight, uh, Summers F1, um, expert racing views from Bradley Philpot on his masterclass and racing analysis from Alex Van Jean. And that is besides that, we also have our race reviews, news with the most varied panel of any F1 podcast. No offense to the shows that have the same panel week in, week out. That's a great format. But even without our special guests, you have three flavors of host in the three of us, me, Matt and Chris, uh, as well as Jeansy, Ferret, Nick, Catman, Goldie, 
Jake Sanson and Neil Palmer, Vortex. So honestly, I think we've got you covered. Tech time, trumpet time, news, we've done politics shows, uh, in-depth subject shows. If that's not worthy of spreading to your friends, uh, then we give up. Uh, but please, just tell the guys in the office, put it on social media, fire it into Facebook groups, that would really help us. If you're too lazy to do any of that, then why not support us with money? You can go to Patreon and search Missed Apex Podcast, or you can go to MissedApexPodcast.com forward slash support. To navigate the menu, click the About tab and then support us. Here's my plea on why you should support not just us, but all podcasts. I think you should support podcasts as well as you do Netflix, uh, Amazon, uh, I, uh, what else do you subscribe to? Uh, your music service, Google Play. And I'm not saying give that a same amount of money to us. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying if you enjoy podcasting and want to help podcasting thrive, you should set that same budget as you do for those other streaming services and spread it amongst the podcasts you love. Because the ones that get supported are the ones that carry on. The ones that don't get supported, they fade away because life is just like that. You, you give these content creators reasons to think that what they're doing is worthwhile and they'll carry on doing it. If everybody supports podcasting as well as they support Netflix, then we'll have better podcasts going forward. Chris, have I made enough of a, a plea? Have I have I made our case well enough? I would extend your plea, actually, to uh, to e-radio show as well. <laughs> Go and tell your friends about that. Uh, we've got an exciting show on uh, Tuesday. We're going to have uh, spacesuit photographer Shiv as a guest on. Uh, talking about uh, what what he does inside the paddock. And honestly, he's just such an awesome guy as well. So it'll be great to have him on. And we'll also be hearing from Tachita team principal Mark Preston uh, this this week as well. So uh, the guests, they keep on coming for us. Having a team principal on for Formula E, for E-Radio, is going to be absolutely fantastic. I cannot, cannot wait not, to hear that. Not, any, not just any team principal, the one who scored the first one to finish in Formula E. All right, guys. Uh, last topic, Chris. You're going to tell me something about how the leader's strategy might be affected. Yeah, it's it's a little theory that I've sort of come up with because traditionally in the second and moving into the third years of, you know, big regulation changes, we tend to see the convergence of the field. Uh, and uh, if the likes of McLaren and Renault and uh, a couple of other teams, you know, we're expecting to make big, you know, step forwards. I mean, McLaren's going to be the biggest one uh, you you would expect. Uh, combine that with these uh, new tires that we've got that are going to degrade, you know, more like we, we saw in 2015, 16 and co. Um, I wonder it, how this is going to affect the leaders. They'll have a much smaller window uh, for that first pit stop. And uh, like we saw in Australia last year, where Lewis Hamilton got stuck behind Max Verstappen and uh, potentially, you know, cost him the race, we could be seeing more situations uh, like that. I think there's, there's going to put a little bit more pressure on the leaders and actually make for some more interesting races. Just a little theory I've been sort of cooking up. Well, Matt's the person who loves tyres the most. Do you think these new t- deltas and the uh, ultra, ultra hard and the super mega ref soft are going to really make a difference not if pirelli are conservative in their choices no there won't be enough dif- there won't be enough delta between the tires for that idea to work yeah i can't remember if they've chosen to bring the hypersoft uh the the new soft to australia i would uh highly doubt it but even if they just bring the uh say the ultra soft 
to uh, to Australia, it's still they're still a step softer than the compounds we had last year. So that element, you know, it should be coming back. They, they want to bring two, three stop racing back into Formula One. And Critch is asking uh, one for tonight. Uh, which circuits or strategies will the tire, the very hard tire, suit best? Because uh, he's struggling to work out if it'll actually be used at all in the season. So is this the ultra hard? Yes, the, the I won't hard, tell you the description he used for this tire, but yes, the ultra hard. It was funny. Yeah, I, can't, I, I honestly can't remember the names they keep coming up with these tires. It's getting beyond ridiculous. But uh, no, the hardest compound available isn't re- aimed at actually you know, uh, being used uh, properly. It is a, a reserve tire. So if they turn up to a track with the, the next three hardest compounds available and suddenly find, oh my God, the tires are falling to pieces, that is then when they will use this super duper hard uh tire but don't expect to see it at any uh races so it's kind of like an insurance policy so they're kind of covered in both directions uh if they've really just misjudged how the car is going to react to these new tires that's interesting though so uh, what decisions on tires have already been made so is it something like they've decided the first six and then they'll get a chance to choose again for the next six uh i i don't think we've had any uh compounds chosen uh, just yet but it'll be the same kind of process where they, uh, you know, they had, and announce what compounds they're bringing. And then, yep, you can choose how many of each compound between three compounds still. I believe they've chosen for either the first two or three races. Uh, we discussed it, I think, last week with Summers. It may have uh, straight over my head. And uh, I am struggling to recall what they were because at this point, for me, it's Pirelli Taste the Rainbow. It's just it's the most boring thing to to to, to bring up. Um, and I'm, you know, sorry to admit that, but tire talking is just, it gets really tedious every now and then. See, it's no, not just me, no, Matt. It never gets tedious. It's <laughs> it not, not when you're talking tedious. about strategy. Not when you talk about strategy. But when it's going, you know, when it gets to, ah, oh, we're gonna bring this compound here, and like, I don't care. Matt, uh, Chris, the impression you just did there was exactly what your normal voice is like. I could tell you were trying to do a different voice but it was just exactly the same. That's not true. I don't sound like some sort of anorak. Oh, I don't sound like an anorak. Uh, so uh, Sam that, Harper, that's... that's exactly, that's how you sound. If Sam Harper says, if Chris is on, ask him why he's got such old-fashioned opinions on esports. We already answered that, but I just, you know, it's funny that a question came in on about that. Uh, and uh, Ferglin says, who do you guys think will win each team battle? Now, we're just about at the hour mark. Do we have five minutes to run through that? Well, before we do that, we should probably go to the chat room because I'm starting to feel like a cyborg. Philip Allen says, 2018 star choices, Australian Grand Prix, soft supers and ultras, Bahrain, GP, medium soft supers, Chinese, medium soft and ultra soft. So there you go. I was not wrong. First three races chosen. Ah, there we go. Chris should have known that. Maybe he's not quite the journalist we've all been building him up to be. I've now swung back the other way. You are the most overrated talent since, oh, I don't know, who's really overrated? I can't think of anyone really overrated now. Uh, Ericsson. You're the most, yeah, you're Ericsson. Okay, so. (laughs) Phoenix 21, 2K1 would like to know, uh, was, it actually says it was reported in Autosport to Chris there. Don't read your own journal. Not like I do anything on the F1 side. I'm still in national. That's fair. We'll let that one roll. All right, then. Quickly, then. Mercedes. Okay, Hamilton. Easy. Any objection? 
Oh yeah, Hamilton. The top, the the top two is easy. Hamilton and Vettel. Hamilton easy. Vettel. That's fine. The Red Bull one is far more interesting. I oh, think. Yeah. I think this is going to be a breakout year for Verstappen. Unfortunately for Ricciardo. Uh I I'm inclined to agree with you. It's all about how Ricciardo responds uh, to the challenge now, isn't it? If he can, you know, raise the bar again, uh, then it's just it's just going to be an almighty fight, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I'd say Verstappen. Uh, Fonseca, Christopher Fonseca says, is Chris Stevens just a pay panelist? Oh God, no, we wouldn't pay for that. Uh, Matt, wh- where are you, you know, on the Red Bull I, battle? I, I'm gonna, I will, I will give qualifying to Verstappen. Um, I will, I will, I, I would go pretty much for a tie. I see Ricardo being with one or two races of him at the end of the year. And again, I just think it's going to be Verstappen's driving style. Either it's going to be the engine reliability. Or it's just going to be banging wheels one too many times. We'll take him out just enough to keep it pretty even, Steven, in terms of the actual races. But well, qualifying, well, I, I give it to Verstappen. Yeah, I think you've got a point because 2017, I think Ricciardo was was actually saved a little bit by a lot of reliability issues for Verstappen. And I don't know quite why that was happening. Uh, it looked like it was a, a lot on the Renault side. But if you look at Ricciardo's victories, they were the ones where Verstappen was was taken out of the equation. So yeah, I, I, I fear for Ricciardo uh, anyway. I fear for him being not found out, but just being in the way of somebody who's about to explode into the very top of F1. Uh, so where do we go now to, to the team that will be fourth? Force India. Uh, Matt, I, I, I think Perez is just is going to hold his own. He's very close. I think Perez is going to hold his own and pip him. Um, I, I, I would, um, I, I, you know, Ocon's my boy. I got to go with him. I, I, agree. I, he, I think he's the rising talent here. I think it, it will again be a close and hard fought battle, but at the end of the day, I, I think Ocon has a little bit more than Perez does. And that ha- now with a full year in the car, I think we're definitely going to see it. Definitely. It's, you know, it's, it's another close one, but if you look at what Ocon was able to do in his first full season, you know, now he's got that extra year under his belt. Uh, this is uh, this is the year Ocon properly arrives into Formula One for my money. Well, I'm not seeing it yet, but we'll see. Uh, I, I, I like the optimism, and I hope we do see obviously a, a new big rising star. But I think Perez can prove against a much fancied youngster that he is still a top flight Formula One driver. All right, then fifth. Let's grant fifth place to McLaren, uh, and I think I think that. If McLaren don't start regularly getting on the podium and winning, which is likely, I can see Alonso's hunger drifting away into uh, WEC and maybe a beach somewhere. Uh, what do uh, old footballers do when they retire? They buy a pub. Um, so I can see Van Dorn, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, uh, actually, you know, maybe being able to to pip Alonso over the course of a season. I don't know. I feel like Van Dorn is he's still learning, uh, and he probably couldn't really utilize his rookie season in the dog of a car that he was driving so i would say alonso still has the edge uh but as van Dorn develops that gap is going to continually shrink right so this is one of these like in math where you get the right answer but for the wrong reason so you get no credit for it um uh, alonso will win and he'll win for a couple of different reasons number one Alonso has shown up with a rookie before and McLaren did not treat them entirely as he expected. And it all turned out badly. I don't think they're going to do that again. I think he's worth a lot to McLaren in terms of their brand. And he will get he will get some favoritism. It may not be huge favoritism, but, you know, he'll get the parts first. 
he'll get the engineers he wants. They will. They want Alonzo happy at McLaren. This much is clear to me. Secondly, and I think much more problematically for Van Dorn, who I rate highly as a driver, by the way. I think he has he has every bit of the potential to really take it to Alonzo and hang. But problematically for him, you have Lando Norris waiting. And Dom says in the chat room, Spanners is just hoping there's room at McLaren for Norris in 2019. And I am hoping that. Uh, I'm actually hoping that there's room for Norris in 2018 if uh, there's some clashes and or Alonso loses interest. Norris has yeah, fully admitted that his future lies with Alonso. You know, what Alonso does is going to determine his his future. And you'd have to say with Alonso now participating in a full WEC program, depending on how the Formula One season goes, might just make that switch over. Okay, then let's move on. Where are we next? Williams. Oh, this is interesting. All right, then. I am going to... It's easy. Yeah, it's got to be Sorokin. I honestly, I don't want to be the guy that's just bashing on Stroll all the time, but I just can't see there being another driver of a lower standard. I think Stroll has is at the the lowest standard of any Formula One driver. Just from what we've seen, just from what we can ascertain, he's definitely better driver than me, one hundred percent. But I just can't imagine that Stroll uh, Sorokin is going to come in and not beat him. Yeah, if if uh, Stroll can't turn around the qualifying, then yeah, Sorokin. Here's the thing: Sorokin will beat Stroll in qualifying. He's just faster. This is easy. The problem is, if you look back at Sorotkin's career, he has shown flashes of brilliance, but also flashes of remarkable, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not uncertainty, not incompetence, but um, un- he's been unreliable. He'll show up and be brilliant. He'll show up and drive into a wall. And at this level, you just don't know quite yet which Sorotkin you're going to get. If you get the Sorotkin who makes all the rookie mistakes, Stroll might actually beat him over the season because at least Stroll drives slow enough he can finish races now. And and so that to me is 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 what you're looking for. What maturity level will Sirot can have in the car under competitive circumstances? It's good. Now we're fully into the midfield. We've got Renault and Toro Rosso. Uh, let's start with Renault. I really am a big fan of uh, Magnussen. Just do something. Huh? I didn't realize Magnussen moved back to Renault. Me either. I've had a brain fart there. <laughs> Apologies. All right, then. Oh, Haas. Gosh, darn. Oh, good sake. Stupid brain. Okay, let me start again. And this okay. this will all be magically edited out of the audio. Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, so at Renault, we, we've got uh, some interesting battles where I, I think that this is the year where Hulkenberg is shown to, to not be top tier. I can't see past signs outperforming him. Uh, are the panel with me on that? I don't know. It's that, it's another really, really tight one. Sainz did so well in the handful of races he did with Renault at the, the end of last season. So I think that battle is going to really to and fro. Um, but I think Sainz might just edge Hulkenberg overall in the championship. I would tend to agree, but I don't think we're really going to see that till the second half of the season. Hulkenberg has been at Renault. He knows the system. He knows the team and he knows the car very well. And they're spending a lot of money. So those are all advantages Hulkenberg. But we, we saw signs being almost immediately on the pace in the races. Qualifying will tell the difference. If Hulkenberg, I think, will qualify ahead of signs, if he can hold that advantage through the whole race, then the season could well be his. 
but he, he was not able to do so over the tail end, uh, the five or so races that, that Sainz did. It was pretty even in the actual races. And I think the longer Sainz is in the team, the more the tables are going to tilt towards him. Yeah, so uh, Chris Millsaps in the chat says, Hulk needs a challenge. I think he has one. And Steve, will Hulk endure and then survive another year in F1 without a podium? I think we might actually have already gone past that point now. I think Hulkenberg's role in future in F1 will be to give us a, a steady known marker against which to judge his teammate. Uh, so let's go to Toro Rosso. Another exciting battle. Go on then, Matt. No, no, get in. No, 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 no. That was, that was me muting my microphone so that I could cough and then looking back and seeing it unmuted. So I, I'm not sure if that came across on the audio. Apologies if it did. Inside baseball, let's leave it in. Toro Rosso, it's an exciting battle because Pierre Gasly, uh, much fancied, but then the story of Brendan Hartley uh, means that I can see no other way for my support to go. I, I've got to, I've got to go heart overhead, Hartley to win over the course of a season, Chris. Uh, again, th- this is probably the toughest one of all because they only did a handful of races at the end of last uh, year and both of them were just... You, you, they may as well have not even bothered turning up because the reliability was so poor. So uh, going off of past form, you know, Hartley's an endurance... Uh, you know, a known quality in endurance racing, uh, whereas Gasly, I feel there may be a question mark over him Still, certainly he's got more recent relevant single-seater experience uh, than than Hartley. Uh, so, again, I I would expect Pierre to have the edge. But I think, again, they're going to to and fro uh, so much and, and drawing off of uh, such different careers to, to utilize uh, across the season. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you, um, for no particular reason other than, um, I don't know. Gasly is a very, very good racer, but he strikes me as someone who is a very complete racer, but he just doesn't have that flash of speed. And I, and I, I don't know if Hartley has it or not, but I think there's more potential in Hartley coming onto the team and learning than, uh, Gasly, where I think we're seeing uh, in large amounts pretty much the whole package already. I'll yeah. put it to you that. Well, maybe, but I mean, Gasly was making quite a lot of spins and quite a, a lot of errors towards the end of last season as well. So let's, I really hope that that's kind of been shaken out and he can hit 2018 with the ground running because we want to see a good competition uh, between you know, the, the drivers there because, you know, with all the talk of paid drivers and who should be there and who shouldn't be there, I think these are these are two guys who are supposed to be in F1. So I, I want to see that battle. And go, we're in the dross now, aren't we? Haas and Sauber. All right. So I don't rate Haas's chances. I think Haas could even be the the team at the back of the grid this year. They could be the, the last team uh, on, on the grid. And you have their Roman Grosjean and Magnussen. And I, and I want to say that Magnussen would be able to come through and challenge Grosjean, but we've just not seen it. And we're not seeing the fight uh, for him to, to step up. I think Grosjean is, is a good tier driver and it's going to be too much for Magnussen again this season. Grosjean's wasted in that house. Uh, I would fully expect him to to trump K-Mag uh, this season. Yeah, I know. You're going to want me to say the same thing. Uh, Grosjean does seem to be the quicker of the two drivers. Magnussen has always had good results when Grosjean has struggled. And quite frankly, I don't really care who wins this one because I just think Magnussen's attitude when he races is tremendous amount of fun. So therefore, I'm just going to say him 
just to be contrarian. It's good. I think you're right. He doesn't. It's almost like he doesn't have the ambition. I don't know. He doesn't express it. But he's more than comfortable in his own skin, isn't he? He's he's more than comfortable to do it his way. And there's something to be admired about that, which just leaves us with Sauber. And I'm really hoping that this kid, this French kid, is he French? He, he's got a French name. Like Monegasque. Monegasque. Yeah, French. Uh, I really hope that he can hit the ground running so that we can just put this myth, this Ericsson might be fine myth to bed and... Two for the price of one, get to see a bright young talent coming through. If Antonio Giovinazzi can come into the Sauber with minimal testing uh, and uh, be, it'd be as quick as Ericsson and even be quicker than Ericsson for two races at the start of last season, the club will just breeze by. No competition. I hope so. Well, I hope you don't mind. We've gone through team by team. I don't think we we normally don't do that sort of thing. That kind of thorough analysis is usually beyond us. But I hope you don't mind that we've spent 15 minutes or so doing that. Uh, but Matt, there's been very busy comments from the chat room that we haven't gone to because we wanted to fly through this bit. But what is this week's comment of the week? Well, you are putting me on the spot because oh boy there are rather a lot um we'll work from back to front daniel drury who has been very active today and near the front the whole time stroll versus carmen jorda how about that for a battle Uh, yes how about that for battle indeed also he comments on the joys of editing (laughs) <laughs> no one will ever know what he means by that. All I can say to you, Dan, is shoe cake, shoe cake. I can't wait to see that shoe cake. Indeed. Uh, Thomas Crawley, sign up a pay podcaster when we were making our big <laughs> pitch for money. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, send, us, send, send us a letter with a sum on it and we'll let you know. You put down a piece of paper turned over and you slide it across the table of my podcasting shed. I'll, I'll have a little look if you want to join the panel. And then, of course, there's Daniel Drury with his shoe-based cake in McLaren colors, which Lawrence Rollograften called a shoey cake. Uh, and then uh, Bradley Philpot getting in there, overprivileged, underperforming. What, Chris? Uh, Christopher Fonseca, privileged son of a rich businessman, gets owned by a Russian. Where have I heard that before? Um, uh, you American. Alonso brings bucks because he's good, not because he's bringing bags of cash. Yep. Um, Tell Claire, not me. Uh, Dom Byrne says, so Spanners is not a posh alcoholic. Gotcha. Um, I'm definitely not both of those things. I think actually, uh, Matthew Graff calling it review of Red Bull. I think referencing Summers quote, very basic car, not much to suggest any special aero development. And then finally up at the top, all the way to the back again with you American poor Williams but this is a visual thing because the L's are pound signs and the S is a dollar sign that said clearly the winner this week has to be Daniel Drury with his shoe cake in McLaren colors way to go comment of the week I'm sure no one will remember uh, but to be honest I think he's pretty safe I don't see McLaren finishing in the top four. Come argue with me. You can argue with me on Twitter. I am at SpannersReady on Twitter. I will always accept emails uh, on SpannersReady at gmail.com. I do my very, very best to answer each and every one. I certainly read them all. You can join our Facebook group by searching for Missed Apex Podcast on 
Facebook. And uh, it's about four or five hundred people in there now. It's quite a nice little community of people on Facebook. And make sure you share these links into your Facebook and Reddit groups of choice. Chris, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at cstevens underscore journo. Uh, you can find my work at formulaspy.com, occasionally in Autosport magazine and on Autosport and Motorsport.com. And of course, on e-radio show as well. And Matt, where can people find your mad lefty snowflake ramblings? Uh, on the Twitters, of course, where all the cool kids hang out at MattPT55 on the Twitters. And be on the lookout for the upcoming interview with the Hub Hill CEO and founder. And when's and, the next... Oh, go on. Sorry, mate. I was going to say, when's your next e-radio show? And I was going to say, and of course, our very next e-radio show, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Stevens, is coming up this veritable Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Guys, until they see you next time on e-radio show, or until next Sunday when you join us again on the live stream, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Someone sent me an email saying that my sign-off line is sexist. That's rubbish. Chicks do dig scars. That's good. That was all right. We got away with that. I like that little bit at the end. I know it was was a bit churny. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.